The scripture reading today is from Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Tim. Well, as we continue looking at what's called the Sermon on the Mount, it's a part of Matthew, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, and I hope actually there are people here this morning that are. I hope that, especially as we look at a passage like this one, that this is not a place, we do not want people to come to in town and feel like they should all be uh, these perfect, knowledgeable people. We're, we're not about being hypocrites. We're about being endearing hypocrites, knowing that we are uh, trying to be someone that we aren't and actually saying, you know what, I'm not going to be that anymore. You know, this passage in, in Matthew, in this chapter, we've been looking at Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. It was a sermon that Jesus gave kind of at the beginning of his ministry. And, and as he did, it was probably about 12 to 15 minutes long. And he began it with a lot of him setting up his authority, by the way, him, him saying, you know, you've heard it said, and he would quote from the Old Testament, but I say to you, not to tear down the law or the Old Testament, but to actually say, here's the fulfillment of it, and also to say, I am the new Moses. I am the new authority. I'm the new mouthpiece of what this is. I'm the fulfillment. I'm not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then he gets to chapter six, and he kind of shifts gears a little bit. He shifts gears to say, Here's how we can practice our righteousness in false ways. Because in chapter five, it's all about our character. How do we practice righteousness? How do we grow in it? But then you come to this and he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. What is he doing? There's a, a article I read that I really enjoy. And I enjoy reading a lot about film and study and about method acting. I don't know if you're aware of what method acting is. Method acting is this t style of acting where an actor and actress actually takes on the character so much they begin to live in the skin of that character day in, day out, when they're on the set or off the set. And the New Yorker wrote an article about this and said, talking about the difficulty of that and what it actually does to certain actors and actresses. You've actually can read along the lines of what it's done to certain characters when they've stepped into a role that's actually really uh, 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 destroyed some of their psyche and it's cost them. Uh, in some sense, some actors, it's cost them their lives. But the New Yorker wrote this and I thought it was really interesting about it. It said, there's something about modern day acting, the style that famously associated with Lee Strasberg method uh, that gained currency from an actor's studio and offshoots that inclines, inclines toward deformations of character. That modern school, which links emotional moments from a performer's own life to that of a character and which conceives characters in terms of complete and filled out lives that actors imagine and inhabit 
asks too much of performers. Here's how one actor describes it. Actors have been lashing out against their profession and its grip on their public images since the Marlon Brando era. Brando's performances revolutionized American acting precisely because he didn't seem to be performing in the sense that he wasn't putting something on as much as he was being. Interesting. Now, even actors themselves discussing this idea of method acting, stepping into it and actually taking on a character, taking on a role that may not, may or may not be themselves and it drawing out a part of themselves but them being someone completely different. It's actually, it's destroying in some sense, not just them, but the, the profession it's saying. And here's what's interesting what Jesus says. He begins this passage by saying, Bewaring, beware of practicing righteousness. And he links it to this word called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in Greek, if you look it up, it's simple. It just means actor. It actually means trying to be someone that you're not, taking on a role that you're not supposed to be. And I will say, if there's one word that would be described of Christians today, I would think hypocrite might be the biggest one. I would say that's the term that most people, when they think of Christianity or Christians, they go... Those are those people that say one thing and live completely different. Aren't they supposed to be this? Aren't they supposed to be that? This is the term that is a label across the board. What do we do with it? I love the fact that Jesus calls it out. I love the fact that Jesus actually says, yes, people who profess to do the right thing and yet are doing it for their own circumstances are hypocrites. That's true. And we should be encouraged by that. If you're here this morning, especially, and you've been burned by the church, or you're maybe exploring Christianity again, hear this from me. Hear this from the Bible, from Jesus, that he's talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about hypocrites, actors. And he's saying it is easy for us as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, to be hypocrites. It is easy in our nature. It is a part of us. As much as method acting, it is something we can take on. Doesn't it feel that way to you sometimes when you come in these doors? Maybe you followed Jesus for a long time, and sometimes maybe you ask the question, wait, why do I do what I do? You should ask that question. You should ask the fact that, wait, why are we doing this? Because this is where Jesus is getting. He doesn't want you just to be, oh, just follow me and do this. He wants it to uproot you. He wants you to know what does it really mean to follow him. Otherwise, we are taking, we are all method actors. Taking on an environment, taking on a, a communion, prayers, a Bible, that we may have no idea what really does connect to our character or not. And it actually may be destroying us. Shakespeare said it beautifully. He said, God has given you one face and you make yourself another. We all make ourselves another. Chris Rock said it the same. The theologian Chris Rock, he said, when you meet someone, you often don't meet them, you meet their representative. You meet the person they try and put forward so they look much better than they are. Isn't that what we want to do? Isn't that what we try to do? Isn't that what Jesus is trying to draw out? So with this, I think we want to look at two simple things that Jesus is drawing out. One is our giving. 
And the second is our reward, our giving and our reward that he does in this passage. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first is, is our giving. And it's all about giving here, but it's couched not in the fact that we need to give. In fact, if you read this passage, you'd understand that Jesus is not saying that you just need to give. He's expecting us to actually be giving. He's expecting us to be giving to the needy. There's so many passages, old and new, in, in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about that you will always, say this, you will always have the poor around you. They will always be there. So the point isn't trying just to eradicate that necessarily. We should be giving that. The point here is saying, how are you giving? How are you doing that? What is coming out? And up to this point, Jesus has really talked about these things about showing, right? Showing Jesus when you're tempted to hide, right? He's talked about anger. He's talked about lust. He's talked about all sorts of things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's saying your character should be coming out in Jesus. But here, he does the complete opposite. He says, in temptation, when you're wanting to show how great you are in your giving, how generous you are, the ways that you subtly even try to work it out, you should hide because you and I want to make it about us. We want to make this about ourselves. We should hide. And isn't it giving, I, I, I was thinking about this, isn't giving such an easy way to do that? I mean, if you, thought, you think about why does Jesus choose giving as a beginning point of our hypocrisy? Why does he use that in a sermon? Because it's such an easy way for us to say, look how good I'm doing. Look what I'm giving away. Look how much I'm improving this person's life or this neighborhood around me. It's such an easy way for us to, to sink our claws into something and, 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 and take the glory from it as we give it away. It is an easy avenue to promote ourselves. And, and why is that? Why should we be doing, how do we, how do we unpack it? I think it's interesting because he says practicing our righteousness, we practice what we get praised for. I mean, in our day and time, especially in sports, right, uh, is, is I'm watching my two boys grow up and, you know, they're in sports and those kind of things. And I think about what it was like for me as, is, is, Sports become more of these kind of centralized things. What are you good at? What are you not? Really hone in on it. It's, it's really sad to me because there's so many of our children that are losing, and we may even experience this growing up, that we're losing the fact that we can just enjoy. Let's just be kids and enjoy things. Why does it have to be so specialized? Y'all, there have been Atlantic articles talking about how sports is killing actually our, our American educations. And look, I'm a huge sports, my friends call me a meathead because I like to work out. I love doing things. I'm, I'm okay saying this, but here's the problem. We specialize in those things because we wanna get praise for it. We wanna get for it. It's no longer this enjoyment of what it is. We enjoy it because we get so much back from this specialized thing and it becomes dangerous. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. We practice what we praise. We practice our righteousness. We practice these things because we want to feel better about ourselves. And isn't that how often I would say that we as, as American 21st century Christians link our righteousness, our living for Jesus, our following Jesus with our experience and how we're feeling so often if we wake up feeling good, if we, if we feel good about what we're doing, if we've done something, it gives us this euphoric sense, then we automatically attach that to, I must be doing good in God's eyes. I must have a relationship with him. I must be really doing great. That is so scary. Because we can, we can supplant our actual relationship with someone for just that sense. I remember hearing and going to many of these, but one in particular uh, at Vanderbilt when I was hearing a speaker talk about the, the necessity of giving and what it does to us. It was the, the conclusion that was drawn was because we have this euphoric sense that's, that's created in us once we've given, you know that feeling you get, you just feel good? That is a, a, a chemical reaction that we're supposed to have that we should do over and over in order to continue to fulfill that feeling in us. That was the conclusion of what, why we should give. Now, you may scoff at that, but that's where we go. We, we may do that in some sense, but we, we can often do it religiously, spiritually, Attach that to euphoric senses instead of reality of the person across from us. This is why Jesus talks about this. Look, he says, when you give to the needy, do not do it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Now, there's no real idea whether the trumpets were a metaphorical thing or a literal thing. If they were literal, it could have been when the temple in Jerusalem, they would blow trumpets. It would signify, okay, this is a time of need. We need to bring our, all of our goods out to, to bring to the temple in order to give to the needy. And they would do that on a regular basis. And sometimes if that was the case, maybe people would come out and they would show themselves proudly on the street with trumpets. It's, it's, it's like a theme music that we all have. It would be like a theme of, here it is, the trumpet, and, and in showing ourselves as great and glorious, getting all the attention that we can get as we're walking to the temple to look at me, look what I can give. That's what he's talking about. But isn't, there's another passage where Jesus says, when the Pharisees did this, there's a, 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 a parable that he gave. He said, when a Pharisee and a tax collector were at the temple to pray, the Pharisee actually prayed not to God, but to himself saying, I get a tenth, I give a tenth of all I get. That his prayer wasn't so much about God, it was about himself. And isn't it so easy, isn't it just so subtle how our giving can create hypocrisy in us? How we feel like in any case, and we'll see this over and over, how any of our doing spiritual things can make us feel like we're someone. That is incredibly dangerous. I have spoken of this article before, probably because I need it more than anybody else, but Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, wrote an article called uh, Why Ministry is Dangerous to Your Spiritual Health. And I read it over and over because I need it so deeply, and I, I would encourage you all, my friends, to read it and hear it as well. But he says that we can supplant our graces with gifts 
that we look to our gifts, the way that we are so great at doing ministry, doing spiritual things, and supply that as our, our graces, who we are. That our doing actually becomes our being. And isn't it so difficult when you wake up and you don't feel like doing, then who are you? It destroys us. See, we're meant to give. We're meant to do these things. But what we do is we take them and make them about us. It's so easy to take the glory and make the glory mine. Because I'd love to have that, to have the praise of men and women for my goodness. Isn't that what we love? Isn't that what we long for? Isn't that why so many of us have so many issues with our own parents, with our own selves? We're a culture of longing for praise and affirmation. And yet when we get it, we don't know what to do with it. We're actually better with criticism than we are with praise because we hide the praise in us, because we know we need that, but we make it our own glory. So what we need to do in our giving is not make it about us, but make it about others. There's an ancient line here about what the Christians were like in the, um, in the fourth century. Roman Emperor Julian said this around 360 AD. He said that the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. I always have read that quote is very interesting. Not because it talks that we just need to be giving, but how they gave. It wasn't just the fact that they were people, the Christians in that day, were just giving because they wanted to be seen. They weren't doing it for that, but it transformed even the people who are not Christians and made them say, why and how are we giving? It shows a mirror, as he says, to how they gave to their own people or how they didn't. How is it revealing us? Because it make, we make something more of others and not ourselves. There's a, a, a book review that I was just flipping through the internet, kind of thinking about this topic. And I was looking at just different posts and I came across a blog of a woman I don't follow or anything and I thought it was interesting. And she talked about how a specific person wrote back that she wrote a book about giving. And one of the reviews that wrote back, she said crushed her but made her think deeply and transform the way that she thought about it was, was this one that said <clears throat> back to her about Instead, instead of writing her book from the view of the givers of those who've been received, who've, who have received. And this is what the review person wrote. And I thought it was interesting. My personal opinion, but kindness and generosity is reduced when declared regardless of how great a gift or small the kindness given. In other words, this reviewer was saying to the author, if we write and declare so much of our giving, what we're doing is we're reducing the actual gift. We're reducing ourselves and we're reducing that person. He says, in my opinion. <laughs> because it takes away from it. Here's why. Because we have to face our hypocrisy and know that it is not just about us. Jonathan Edwards, who is a great um, author, said it this way. I, I want to read this because I think it'll put frame what we need to think about. If our neighbor's difficulties and necessities be much greater than our own and we see that he is not like to be <clears throat> otherwise relieved, 
we should be willing to suffer with him and to take part of his burden on ourselves. Else, how is that rule of bearing one, another, one another's burdens fulfilled? And I think it's brilliant of what Jonathan Edwards is saying. Giving should be inconveniencing us. It should press in on our souls enough to where it forces us not to think about ourselves so much, but about outside of ourselves, the other person, to face our hypocrisy. It should press in on us to make us uncomfortable. Our giving should cause us to say, it's not all about me. See, if we're really giving, if we're really giving to the needy, it should inconvenience us enough to say, we don't lose our neediness when we approach those who are needy. And that's what happens in our hypocrisy. We lose who we are. We lose our own neediness for the sake of look how grand I am or look how good I can feel. Yes, it's okay for it to feel good, but if that's where it ends, if that is the pinnacle of what giving is, then we have fallen into hypocrisy. We are taking on a character that we are not meant to be. Because the character that's driving out is someone else. We're to show others. We're showing an other. And that is Jesus. We're showing a character that is not just our own. It's a character of someone else. That's our giving and our reward is what he says. And I find this to be really interesting because usually when we read the Bible, we don't think of it in these terms. We don't think of reward. He talks about it like this. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may get, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's two rewards there. There's one reward that says you receive it in full. And this is what he's talking about. He's saying our rewards are asking you this question. And our giving drives us to this. What is the reward that you're receiving? This is how you know what your giving looks like because it asks you this one question. What are your relationships like? That's what it's saying. What are you having a relationship with? If your reward is revealing, it's revealing who you have a relationship with. Is it with God or is it with something else? What is the depth of that? How have we constructed, this is another way of saying it, how have we constructed systems of self-righteousness, pillars, structures to make ourselves have rewards in this life, to have a reward now when he says they have received their reward in full? The actual verbs there in Greek mean commercial transactions. That's actually what it means. It means that these have become transactional relationships. If you do any sort of Google word study on transactional relationships, every sort of business comes up. And you will read everything from nine ways to not make relationships transactional, but more relational. Businesses are trying to take this on. Why? Because transactional relationships are those where you just get what you want and you walk away. And we, hand, we, we handle our relationships in that way all the time. This is what Jesus is saying we do. We build systems and structures so that we can get what we want from people and not have to give enough to where it presses in on who we really are. 
So we can shape this character. We can make this mold of the person that we think we look great without it really doing anything to us, without it really costing us. And to really give, to really be in relationship with someone means it should cost us. To really push in, to give to someone else means it should cost us. It should be something that doesn't, we don't just give and say, oh, there you go. It's okay for it to feel good again, but if it doesn't, if it stops there and it doesn't cost us, You have to ask the question, are you really in relationship with someone to care for them enough that you're not developing this pattern, this structure where everything you do good is making you feel like you're someone? It's very subtle. I'm trying to encourage you because I know the deception of my own heart and yours. We are self-deceived. In many moments, we we may know that we're being hypocritical, but I need us to understand, even if you're here and you're saying, I'm I'm trying to, to follow Jesus again, or maybe I'm trying to learn who Jesus is, it is very subtle the ways that we want to take glory away from Jesus and make it our own. If you walk away with anything, walk away with that. We want to make it about ourselves Here are a couple diagnostic questions for you. Maybe this will help land that a little more for you. How do you know that you're giving commercial transactional giving? Is possibly you only see your, you don't see your need when you give to someone. You only see theirs. In other words, are you a needy person? Are you humble enough to approach those who are needy with your own needs saying, I have to give because I know how much I need. Do you see more of what you're giving than the one you're giving to? Are you prideful? Are you thoughtful about the, maybe it's a dollar, maybe it's five dollars, maybe it's time, whatever it is. Are you more concerned about the thing, gift, resource, whatever it is you're giving to whomever it is than you are the actual person you're giving it to? Does it make you feel more excited to do that than to actually step into the joy of being in relationship with that person that even for a moment to care about where they are? Do you think too much about how, how much you have given means to you instead of praying over what it might mean to that person. This is a little nuance of what I just said, but it, it's a little more, it's pressing in to say, have, do you stop and think about what it's like for that person to receive it? What it's like for them to actually take it in more than what it just means to you and building you up chemically in this euphoric sense that you may have. There's something incredible around Christmas time that happens at the Starbucks near our house. It's really interesting. It's this real pay it forward kind of thing. I've experienced this before, but been in one of those chains where people in the drive-through, you pull up and they go, well, the person in front of you paid for your coffee. And then immediately, the first thing you go is, gosh, I, well, I, I gotta pay for the person behind me. And you look in your rear view mirror and you go, how many people are in the car? One, two, three. And you go, well, what, what did they, and you kind of go, well, you kind of want to ask, what did they order? This happens every year around Christmas time, which again, that's interesting. It happens only once a year. But isn't that how we often measure our giving? We go, yes, oh, I totally want to give. Wait, how many people are in the car? 
It's measured because we want to feel good enough to get there, but we're unwilling to let it cost us and know what it really means. If you really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to take up the cross and go after him, we have to check ourselves when we ask those questions because that's when we're taking on a character that we're not meant to take. That's when we're building up damaging things. Another question is, you, do you hope, are there, there, there are those moments that you hope people recognize what you did for them? Do you find yourself in conversations subtly slipping in ways that you have done good so people praise you? Ways to promote yourself. This may not even be just in giving. It may be in any way. Are there ways that in conversations that you find, even with work, in ways that you think this is justifiable because I'm at work, that I find myself slipping this in to make, even, maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's those ways that you find yourself trying to slip in a little moment of glory so you can get some back. That is our way of building up a character, of our acting. Those are our structures that we are creating. There's a structure that we need to learn to create, though, and what it means to, be, to have a reward from our Father. David Brooks, and I love quoting him. You'll hear me quote him a lot. He wrote an article called The Structure of Gratitude. He's a New York Times opinion um, columnist, and he wrote this, and I thought this was so well put. Listen to what he says on the structure of gratitude. This kind of dispositional gratitude is worth dissecting because it induces a mentality that stands in counterbalance to the mainstream threads of our culture. We live in a capitalist meritocracy. This meritocracy encourages people to be self-sufficient, masters of their own fate, but people with dispositional gratitude are hyper-aware of their continual dependence on others. They treasure the way that they have been fashioned by parents, friends, and ancestors who were in some ways their superiors. They're glad the ideal of individual autonomy is an illusion because if they were relying on themselves, they'd be much worse off. The basic logic of the capitalistic meritocracy is that you get what you pay for that you earn what you deserve. But people with dispositional gratitude are continually struck by the fact that they are given far more than they pay for and are much richer than they deserve. You see the difference there in what he's drawing out is the fact that we have a different reward that's pulling us. And it's, here's what's interesting. He's not even a Christian. But he's writing of the fact that there's gotta be some sort of gratitude that's more to us. See, here's the line. Here's the main thing Jesus is saying. Our giving should come out of being loved, not trying to get love. Our giving has to come out of a place where we know that we are loved, not trying to gain love. And in every single way that I read to you about those diagnostic questions, we are trying to gain love from someone for ourselves. That's what hypocrisy really does. Hypocrisy says you can't be good enough, so you need to create a character that's good enough and act good enough in order that God and others would see you as valuable and that you would be loved. See, the reward of what 
Jesus is talking about here about being secret is so stark and so powerful. And, the, and for them to hear the left hand that a right hand would, or is doing, like that, that, that language is used often today. I heard it even on TV the other day, used in a complete out of context way. What Jesus is saying is so stark that, it, that your righteousness, what you're doing must be done in secret in order that people may not know that you may not even have a hint of trying to have to take the righteousness, take the glory, take it for yourself, that you can drive it away. That you do it in secret because you know how loved you are. You don't have to blast it from the mountaintops. You don't have to have your own theme music. You don't have to blow the trumpet. You don't have to subtly work it in. You see what this is really saying is the giving part is about us. That's what it means to come to this table. To come to a table like this means that you and I have to say, yes, I am a hypocrite. It doesn't mean to say you you can't come to this table as a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. We have all taken on some sort of character that we think we need to take on. But what this table is about is saying you're known, you're loved, not for some act you're trying to play, but for what I have done for you. Think about the passage for a moment. And here's where it lands. Listen, when he says this about having a reward from our Father in heaven, what reward do we get? Is it just getting to heaven and hoping that God says, great job. You did a good job. Hey, I remember when you gave away this. I remember when you did that and you didn't tell anybody. Is that really what it's about? You know what the true reward is? Is what the Bible talks about when God said, I did not withhold anything. I did not tithe my love for you. Do you realize that this wine and juice here is not tithed blood? This bread is not tithed body. You and I are needy. The only way that you can give to the needy is to know your need, my need. That the one who gave himself up, the one who became needy was Jesus. He had everything. He needed nothing. And he became needy to bring us needy in. Shed your act. Don't come to this table with any other kind of building system of righteousness. This is where you tear it down because you can't. There's no reward that you can take. There's nothing you can have for yourself. If you are still in that place and you think you really need to have that system of righteousness, that you think you really have to have that in order to come to this table, I would encourage you to sit in your seat and contemplate or come forward and fold your hands in prayer. Because this is a table not for any system of righteousness. It's not, for, it's not my table. It's not Christ's presence table. This is Jesus' table. And he bids you to come to him. Let's stand together and read together our liturgy. Father, through your goodness, we are refreshed through your son in word and sacrament. May our faith be so strengthened and guarded 
that we may be a witness to your eternal love by our words and in our lives. Grant this for Jesus' sake, our Lord. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Please be seated.